Welcome to this podcast and what we're looking at today are things which our clients often ask us. Some are very time specific, others are more general. And the first question is, at the present time, Morrisons have agreed to sell their company at £2.54 per share, but the stock market quoted price at the minute is £2.65. Why do things like this happen? And I'm going to ask John, who's head of our research team, to answer this particular question. Well, the simple answer is that the stock market, in its collective wisdom, is anticipating that there will be a higher offer. Morrison's has accepted a bid from a private equity operator, but there are more than one or there is more than one private equity uh, group in the running. So the stock market is saying that there will be a higher offer. If you have more than one party involved, or the more parties that are involved, the greater the chance that somebody is going to pay that little bit more. So if nobody else had shown their hand, uh, I would say that there would be... uh, it would be less likely that the stock would be standing at a premium to the offer price in the market. But the fact that there are numerous potential offerors, uh, that means that there's more, there's more chance that somebody may, may offer higher. And therefore, I think that, that that's the reason why situations like this tend to happen. If there was only one party in the running, then it probably wouldn't be standing where it is now in the market. And John, yeah. does, this, does this create a dilemma for the shareholder? Because the shareholder has got to decide whether to sit and wait in case there is a higher bid or whether to take the uh, excess over the agreed bid. I suppose it's a nice dilemma to have because if you want to try and get everything right, you now have the option of cashing out in the market and ensuring that you get the vast majority of the share price uplift over the past five or six weeks. Um, Of course, uh, there's nothing to say that uh, another offer will come in. So you could be um, doing very well if you sold in the market now and the deal that's on the table is the one that's actually uh, the one that comes to fruition. So you could say it is a dilemma, but it's, uh, it's a nice dilemma to have considering that before the offer came along, the shares were 170 or whatever they were. And is it common in these situations for the shareholder to back it both ways and say, sell half or a third of the holding if you had a reasonable holding and and dealing costs were not going to be um, really much of an impediment yes you could do that thank you can i just add to that often it's a it's a case of a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush you know you can sell the stock at the price in the market but you don't know whether the bid's going to go through or not so that's the that's the dilemma you've got and the flip side of that is that if you sell it in the market, you've got commission to pay. If you hold on, you won't have commission to pay. My own experience of this is often I would prefer to, to sell the stock to bank the money rather than hold on. Because look at Renishaw, where they weren't bid for, but they, they put themselves up for sale. And some people may have held on to the stock when it shot up to £69 a share. I actually did exactly what Ian's just said. That I sold half of mine at sixty-nine. They're now back down to forty-nine because the the sale, the proposed sale, never went through. 
there's more to consider uh, than just the takeover. If you introduce the costs of selling or you've got capital gains tax to consider, then obviously that's going to be something that is going to impinge upon your net proceeds. I think that there are opportunities sometimes to roll your investment into something else, such as loan notes, which can be dripped out over the years so that you can use annual capital gains tax allowances. And also you can transfer to spouses as well. So there's an opportunity to mitigate tax. John, people often say, should we be investing in companies which are involved in climate change? Is this a fashion or what do you think? I do believe that this is a fashion. And while um, I don't think anybody wants to live in a world that's polluted or one that is knee deep in environmental degradation, uh, I also think it's very important to remember the word investing. We are either investing which means attempting to buy enterprises of substance that are profitable rather than flaky ideas, which may or may not work. So I think we're seeing an awful lot of, of commentary at the moment about ESG and climate change and that there is some kind of investment angle. I think we have to be very, very, we, we can never lose sight of the fact or what is it that we're actually attempting to do. And if we are investing, then I see little point in trying to disguise the fact that we are investing. Uh, and that means we're attempting to make money. And uh, I don't think that's something that we should shy away from. And ultimately, any business, whether it's connected to the environment, ESG, climate change or whatever, is going to have to make money. So I am very conscious at the moment that there are a lot of businesses in inverted commas which are nothing more than ideas and everything that we attempt to do is to value proven concepts businesses that have been around for a while that have excellent returns on capital and have sensible balance sheets and on that basis I think that a lot of what we see when we're talking about ESG, the environment, climate change simply does not pass muster from an investment angle. Could I just add that what the general public has to remember is that these companies that are pushing ESG, like the big fund managers, they are businesses trying to make money. So they are trying to attract people to their companies. So the latest bandwagon, whatever that happens to be, they're almost under an obligation in terms of trying to make profits for, for their shareholders to promote this theme whether that's right or not is a different question. But I totally agree with John. It has precious little to do with investment of money. At the end of the day, as an investor, you're trying to buy businesses that work. And that means profitability and acceptable profitability. And uh, a lot of these businesses that we see raising money and gaining traction in the world of investment, uh, some of them aren't even profitable. Will they ever be profitable? Who knows? But I think the investing public is, in general terms, being let down because they are being fed a, a general message that is one of, well, if you want to invest, do it in a, an environmentally friendly way, by all means. But that doesn't mean that these businesses are actually sustainable, if you pardon the pun, on a longer term basis. And once you've lost sight of that, and once you've got all the major fund, fund houses pushing the latest idea because that's what they can sell, 
I fear we may end up with a, a rerun of the last bandwagon that I can recall, which was the, the whole TMT thing 20 years ago, anything to do with technology or the internet. And we all know how that ended. So I'm very skeptical of a lot of this stuff. And I think investors should be realistically skeptical too. Yeah, there are various uh, shades of green as well. So there are going to be some of these businesses which do work in the long run. But what worries me is that as you get more and more green, if you like, I think those are the businesses which could badly let down investors. And it's very interesting that some of the the rating agencies are uh, rating funds now. And you can get a fund which meets 90% of ESG requirements, but it is not regarded as being green. And I think that's not explained to investors. And I think there are some investors out there who perhaps only want green and very green investments, and that's fine. But there are some investors out there which, where they've reached nine-tenths of being green, if you like, would be perfectly happy with that, given the quality of the underlying investments within the fund. I would go as far as to say that if you want some kind of environmental type investment, it would be wise and prudent from the off to accept that it is probably more likely that you are going to have to trade some degree of quality of investment and ultimately some degree of return in order to pursue that path. Now, if you, if, if you know that beforehand, then that's fine. One of the things that really concerns me is that I don't think that message is being projected and therefore to the uninitiated, uh, they think, well, who doesn't want to be green? Let's invest that way. If you knew beforehand that you may well be sacrificing a meaningful degree of return, well, I just think you need to know that beforehand. Environmental, social and governance, ESG, appears to be a flavour of the month. Consequently, certain fund managers might be promoting this type of investment. These investments may be in the form of bonds. What do you think about this? If we're talking about ESG bonds, the way this industry works, bonds, in inverted commas, and I am generalising, are supposedly meant to be a lot safer. And in some cases, some people would say they were close to risk-free. That's not something that I believe in. But if you end up with ESG bonds, on the one hand, you'd say bonds are meant to be safer. And yet, if the underlying businesses that you have lent money to are nothing more than quoted experiments, how safe is that? So that's another concern that I have, which is a supposedly safer investment is actually tied to experimental businesses and experimental processes. I don't think that that is necessarily safe or safer. You're actually, in many ways, confusing uh, bonds with, you're almost owning high-risk equity. And again, I think people need to be aware of that. If you are owning ESG bonds in businesses that are not proven, you are taking a very high risk. It's a risk that may well work. I'm not saying it won't, but I'm saying that ultimately your capital is going to be secured on the success of that business. And the fact that it's a bond doesn't cut that risk. 
Duncan, is it possible that a fund which you might select for a client becomes so successful that it becomes too big to be a very good investment? Yes, it is possible and it depends on where it's invested. And I think the majority of people who will be listening to this um, will be a fay with um, what's happened with Woodford and people will have different differing opinions on why that has failed. The biggest fund in the UK at the moment is Fund Smith, which is managed by Terry Smith. And there are question marks over the size of the fund, which is currently £26 billion. And the fact that he's only invested in a maximum of 30 companies. He has been phenomenally successful. The performance has been exceptional uh, over uh, the last 10 years. And the certain sectors of this industry are wanting to put him down. And one of the things that they're looking at is liquidity and the size of the fund. The, the liquidity, in my opinion, is not too much of a problem. He's invested in huge, huge companies. So whilst he might own uh, Microsoft, there are billions of pounds of dollars of Microsoft shares traded every day. So I believe that if he had a large seller, within that fund, he would be able to meet the cash requirement very, very quickly indeed. So I don't think he would be inflicted with the same problems as uh, as Woodford has been. But it's interesting, the industry doesn't understand how liquidity works in some cases. People are quick to comment. There were comments regarding Nick Train and his fund. He owns a significant proportion of Celtic shares, but as a percentage of the fund they're held in, it's minuscule. But people were questioning the liquidity of that fund and were comparing it to Woodford, which, in my opinion, is completely unfair. Thank you. Yeah, the, I mean, the only thing I would say is that um, it depends on what the fund is investing in. And clearly, if you're investing in smaller companies, then you may have a problem of liquidity uh, that's going to come sooner rather than later. But if you're investing in larger companies, then the pressure that could come from hitting a certain size uh, will, will be less. And Duncan mentioned Fundsmith. I don't see any uh, prospect of a problem of liquidity being an issue for that fund it could easily double and I don't think it'd be an issue. I think liquidity is more going to become more of a problem for the funds which invest in medium and small size companies so Buffetology which is managed by Keith Ashworth Lord he has currently I think two billion pounds in that fund I might be wrong but he might struggle if that fund doubles or triples from here whereas I don't think either uh, Terry Smith or Nick Train would have the same problem. Yeah I would I would concur. This material should not be considered as advice or an investment recommendation. Investors should seek advice from an advisor regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority prior to making investment decisions. All investments carry a degree of risk. The value of investments and any income from them can go up as well as down, and you may not get back the amount originally invested. Information contained in this podcast was true at the time of recording.